0: Welcome to the Ruby Book Club podcast, where we read an hour of a Ruby book each week and dissect it with you. I'm Saran, developer and founder of CodeNewbie.
1: I'm Nadia, developer and director at Ignition Works. So today we're going to finish off Confident Ruby. We'll pick up where we left off with section 7.1, looking at the metric foo code base. Then in section 7.2, we're going to look at the stringer code base before we read Avdi's parting words in chapter eight.
0: And remember to follow us on Twitter at Club and check out rubybookclub.com to follow along.
1: So what did you make of our final reading, Saron?
0: So the final reading was interesting because, you know, we ended up splitting up that last section into two parts because there was so much code and so many good nuggets of information that we wanted to make sure we dissected. But then the end of the conclusion came so fast. You know, it, it was just kind of suddenly ended with a few quick notes and I was expecting something a little bit deeper, a little bit more of a a nicer, smoother landing. And it, it just kind of felt like it was over before we knew it. What'd you think?
1: I think I agree with you. Avdi has been building up a really nice story throughout this whole book. And yes, it was over so soon. And I was, I was sad to see the end of it.
0: Mm-hmm. And so last time we began section 7.1 looking at metric foo. And this time we're going to continue that and finish off the book. You ready? I'm ready. So continuing our conversation on metric foo and kind of different ways that we can make it a little bit better, and a little bit stronger, we turn our attention to the parameter clones. And this is the section that we are using to actually build a new location object. So we saw that before
1: what we had was that we would have a variable called something like file path copy. And we'd set that equal to file path ampersand ampersand file path clone and so what would that what that means is that if the file path exists then we would make a clone of it and return that and if it didn't exist then there would be no copy.
0: So in that example then if there was no file path we'd just be saving it to nil? Right
1: and so Avdi says that there's actually a nicer way to combine the cloning and the freezing, which is something that also happens after we've created the clone. We then freeze that variable. And so Mm -hmm. Avdi says that we can use an operator, which is ampersand ampersand equals.
0: And I've never seen this before. Me neither. I've seen the the pipe pipe equals you mm-hmm. know, to, for memorization, but I haven't seen the ampersand ampersand equals. That was new for me.
1: So if you have file path ampersand ampersand equals file path dot clone, that expands out into file path equals file path ampersand ampersand file path clone. So it's a more succinct way of writing that statement that we had before.
0: And in this example, and make sure that we're setting it to something that is non-nil, right? Because the first part of that is checking to see if a file path even exists to clone.
1: Yes. And so essentially, if it is non-nil, then it's going to update it to be a clone. Otherwise, it won't update file path at all. We'll leave it alone.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's really helpful because we've been talking about this whole time in many different sections of this book, how annoying it is and frustrating it is to deal with nil values. And this kind of helps us avoid that because it really only works if you have non-nil values
1: yes and so with that avd refactors the code to have this method called finalize and in the finalize method avd makes use of the ampersand ampersand equals and then combines the cloning and freezing making the get method more succinct
0: Mm -hmm. and if you look at the initial get method There's so many more lines of code and there's checking for nil values and doing the ternary operator that I personally think ternary operators are cool, like I said last week, but (laughs) apparently other people, most people do not agree. Um, But looking at the way he used that ampersand ampersand equals operator, it's definitely neater and cleaner and gets the point across a lot faster.
1: Yeah. And then we come on to another one of our favorite topics, which is substituting a benign value for nil. Mm -hmm. So in the initialize method, we set up a lot of uh, instance variables. So we've got at file path equals file path, at class name equals class name. And there's one bit where we say at simple method name equals at method name dot sub. Then we pass it some parameters. And then we say unless method name is nil. So this is an instant variable here which relies on another one. And we won't be able to set it if... The the if method name which it relies on is nil and so here we go we have this uncertainty over is method name set or not and if it's not then the code is going to blow up at that point because we're sending Mm. a message to it
0: yes and right away we can kind of tell that this is this is not very cool Um, because we have you know a random unless there we're doing a nil check so the fact that it's there it kind of sticks out as something that maybe should not be done that way
1: Right, and we've f- throughout this whole book we've we've learned to spot that that's a bit dodgy.
0: Mm-hmm. Dodgy. Ah, oh, I love that word. You're so British. It's amazing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yes. So instead, we do something a little bit different. We tweak it just a little bit. Where instead of saying method name dot sub and then we pass in the class name and the empty string unless dot nil, no, we instead say method name dot to string. And then dot sub, and then we pass in class name dot to string or an empty string. And so in that case, it's okay that it is nil because we know that if we do nil dot to string, we'll just end up getting back an empty string. So we can use that and we can transform that without having to do a nil check.
1: And just to clarify, it's to s that's being used because remember, there's a what did I say? you said to string.
0: Oh my god, I'm so sorry.
1: And you know from earlier chapters that there is a difference in between all these conversion functions. And so 2s is that's pretty tr- flexible, and so that's why we use that one because we don't really care. We just need it to be something sensible, something benign, something harmless. And so we can use mm-hmm. 2s because nil to s really gives us an empty string. hmm Yep. And that's the end of that location
0: class. Mm-hmm. So now we're looking at the Hotspot analyzed problems. Great. Which is, <laughs> which already sounds kind of complicated. Yeah. But that is uh, still part of our metric foo. It's another class that we're going to deal with. And here we also find a method called locations. We're still dealing with location related things. And here we have an edge case where we have something called subtable. And subtable is something we set at the very beginning of our location method, where we say subtable equals get subtable, which I think we can assume is a different method. And we pass in our item and our value that we get from our parameters. So based on the way that that method is written, the edge case where the subtable has no data is taking priority based on just the structure of this. And it's taking priority because the first part of the location method says, if subtables length equals zero, basically meaning that we, we don't have any rows, then raise an error. Otherwise, do all of these things. And we talked a lot about how our methods are structured and literally just the order of things and how we present information. And here Avi's telling us that the fact that we have this if-else structure this way makes it look like, this edge case that, you know, that one time that the subtable is empty is more important than all the awesome things that we actually need to do in this location method.
1: Yes. And so I love this refactoring because Avdi simply says, well, let's just remove the else clause.
0: Yeah, <laughs> And it's funny, when I first saw that, I thought, no, we're going to break all the things. And then I, I looked at the method again. I said, oh, no, we're not. It's fine. We can just not have the else.
1: Yeah. So we, I remember looking at it thinking, oh, this might be complicated. And then, like mm-hmm. you, I looked back and I realized, oh, yeah. So we have an if and an else. He just ends the conditional after the if branch. And then the rest of it is promoted to the top level of the method. So everything that was within the else branch of the conditional is just promoted to the top level.
0: Mm -hmm. And it's totally okay that we did that because if there is no data in the subtable, then it's going to raise an error and it'll stop there anyway. So there's no reason to really have a second branch. And it's incredible just visually looking at this method and seeing that promoting that else branch into the top level of the method instantly gives it more weight and more importance.
1: Yes. And and then Avdi says that the check if subtable length is equal to zero that clause has now become a precondition. So by making it, changing it from an if else to just that if statement and then the rest of the method, we've created a precondition. And it's great Mm -hmm. because it's all the stuff that we've been learning being tied together. So now it's saying, you know, if we've got an empty table, abort. We're not, we can't do anything. Otherwise, continue. And so Avdi points out that we can extract this precondition into its own method called assert subtable has data. And so now if we look at the location method, it's much more readable because we start with Mm -hmm. subtable equals get subtable with the item value, like you said before, Saron. And then the next line is assert subtable has data. And then the rest of the method comes. So it it reads like a nice story.
0: Yes. Yes. And he even says this reads much better and I think we both just feel better looking at that because the focus of that method is really on the stuff that we're doing, not on handling this one little edge case. Yeah. So now we move on to a class called ranking.
1: It has a method called top. This method takes an integer and returns the top n items in the ranking. So if you pass it 10, it will return the top 10 items. And if you give it If you don't pass an argument, it will return all the items. Mm -hmm. So what's the problem with this method, Saron?
0: Well, the problem is that we have to do an explicit type check for numeric. Mm -mm -mm. So we're explicitly saying... Is that not what we're... No, I'm saying, "Mm mm-mm, that's bad. Okay. (laughs) I was like, oh, no, am I in the wrong part of the book? (laughs) Yeah, so we're doing an explicit type check for numeric. So we're basically saying, num, is it a numeric? If it is, do these things. If not, do these other things. And we know that when we have to do an explicit type check, that's probably not the right way to handle things. I mean, we might want to consider something else. And so one solution that Avdi presents is having the default value for the parameter instead of being nil to have it be the sorted items dot size. So right away when you do that, you don't have to figure out if it's a number because we know that that size is going to get us back a number.
1: Yes, I thought that was a really neat refactoring because I was thinking, mm-hmm. mm, how do we do this? Uh, it's it's nice and clever. So yeah, it's like you say, the default is the size of all the items. And then in the body of the method, it takes the sorted items array with the square bracket method and it accesses it from zero, so the first item, to num. And so if you haven't passed in an argument, it will access all of the items. And if you have, it will get as many as you need.
0: Mm-hmm. And so immediately when I saw this, I thought, man, this is really clean and, and just really clever. I don't know if I would have thought of this. But the other part of me thought well, what about all the other methods that are depending on that not being the way that the method works? So I was kind of, I felt just a little bit uncomfortable. And that's the point that Avdi brings up next. He says that once we poke around the code base, we realize that some methods purposely want to pass nil in. And so that ends up overriding our plan to not have to deal with any nil values. So instead of having our default argument be that size. Instead, we're gonna go back to it being nil. And the first line is gonna set our local variable num to be uh, equal to sorted items.size. So we have that pipe, pipe equals. And so that allows us to not have to have that ugly conditional that we didn't like, but also makes it you know flexible uh, and and prevents the likelihood of us breaking code other places where we do want to pass nil in.
1: I explained that right? You explained it very well. Okay.
0: Thanks, Nadia.
1: No problemo. So, shall we go into stringer?
0: Yeah, I feel like, so that section didn't really have a conclusion, I'm realizing. Yeah, it just
1: ended abruptly. It just kind
0: of ended. Yeah, I was waiting, I was looking, I was like, where's the the nice, neat summary? But we don't have one, it just kind of ends. It actually ends specifically on a code sample, which the other sections don't have. So that's that's new. Obdi's, you know, doing something new at the end. I see you. Okay.
1: You know what's happening? What? He's prepping us for the
0: short party words. That's what it is. Just slowly removing sections so we're not, <laughs> we're not shocked at the end. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're on the 7.2 Stringer.
1: Yes. Do you want to tell us about Stringer? <laughs> sure.
0: So Stringer is a web-based RSS reader by Matt Swanson. Uh, I don't know who that person is, but I, he sounds important. If he's going to be in this book, shout out to Matt Swanson. <laughs> shout out to Matt Swanson. And so for this, we're looking at a class called Feed Discovery. And in Feed Discovery, we have a method called Discovery. So again, this section doesn't have the introduction, the synopsis, the problem. You know, it doesn't have those. So we're just going straight into straight into this code. This uh, code sample, right? Is mm-hmm. that interesting?
1: This is this is a whole other world. It's
0: a whole other side of Avdi. <laughs> it's like the rebel. Uh, so in our feed discovery class, we're looking at the discover method, and here we're passing in the URL. We're passing in something called Finder, which we have a default value called FeedBag, which kind of sounds like an insult. Kind of reminds me of like Scumbag. I don't know if that's what is meant, but that's and what it's a I class.
1: Heard. It's a, it's got a capital F. So
0: yes, yes. And then we're passing in our third argument, which is a parser, and the default value for that is feeds, feed zero. Is mm-hmm. that a thing? I've never heard that before. Feed zero, colon, colon, feed.
1: Yeah, this is just an object within this code base, because remember, yes. this is a real real code base. And so,
0: this is real. Yeah. It's not, our, it's not like our, our fake stuff. This is, this is real stuff. This was the
1: first time, by the way, when I mm-hmm. read a bit of code that Avdi had given us. And before Avdi said anything, I spotted a, a problem or something that was a bit <gasps> dodgy.
0: Ooh, tell me what you spotted.
1: I spotted two Brie blocks in succession.
0: <gasps> me too. I saw that and I said, mm, is this normal? So this is one of those things where, you know, I think it really, really helps to read books like this. And it really helps to look at different code samples because just, it, you know, my my initial reaction is... There must be a good reason for this because it's a it's real code, right? It's real code written by someone who you know, I, I assume is somewhat respectable. Who you know, it this is like real life stuff and so my instinct is to trust it and my instinct is to say this is probably the right way to do things and it's really helpful to have these real life code samples in books like this because it helps us say well maybe there isn't a good reason and maybe there are better ways to do it even if it is written by someone who we might look up to we might trust there's always room for improvement so it was really nice to have a real code sample and to deconstruct it and to refactor it like this
1: Yes, and I feel I should just point out that for anyone who's not listened to the previous two episodes, Brie Blocks are uh, Sir <laughs> great terminology for Begin, Rescue, End Blocks. I'm not talking about cheese, I'm talking about Begin, <laughs> Rescue, End Blocks.
0: It might be the biggest contribution I've made to the Ruby community thus far. Brie Blocks, you're welcome. We'll see
1: how it catches on.
0: <laughs> we'll see at Ruby Cop if, uh, if anyone's calling them Brie Blocks. That, that's how you know, that's how you know. So in these breed blocks, we have an interesting situation where we are basically trying to get these feeds and these feed URLs. So in our begin section, we have a feed, a local variable feed, and we're getting this feed by taking our parser and calling fetch and parse and passing in our URL. And then in the next line, we're setting the value for our feed URL. And we do that by saying URL pipe pipe equals URL. And then we return the feed. So that's the best case scenario, right? If our feed is good, our mm-hmm. URL is good, we just return the feed and we're done. However, if that doesn't work, then we have a rescue where we set a local variable URLs and we call URL, And then after that, we have a return false if URLs is empty. So we have a situation for finding that feed and that feed URL and then a situation for getting URLs if we are unable to find that initial feed. So the interesting thing is in our second brie block, we kind of end up doing the same thing again, where this time we go feed equals parser.fetch and parse. And this time instead of passing in our initial URL from our parameter, we're passing in URLs.first that we got from our rescue block from the previous brie block. And then we're setting our feed URL again. So we have feed.feedurl pipe pipe equals urls.first. And then if that works, we return feed. And then if all that fails, we have a, a rescue block that returns false. So we're basically doing the same steps of trying to find the URL in two different bre- bre blocks Yeah.
1: And so after says, the repeated pattern is try to fetch and parse a feed. Rescue any exceptions which result, and if an exception is raised, perform a fallback action, which is in this case returning false.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And in one case it does something extra, which is tries to f- use a finder to find other URLs, but essentially returning false.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The other thing I that Avdi mentions that I didn't spot was that rescuing exception is very broad, and so there could be loads of... Um, other programming errors like typos and things like that that will return no method errors. Oh, that's a good point. That we won't spot. Mm -hmm. I didn't spot that one.
0: That's a good point. And so Avdi says that when we have this type of pattern, one thing we can do is we can extract a method from it. So we decide to pull out a method and we're going to have it receive a policy we talked about this before about receiving policies and so it'll receive a policy for handling the failure from that feed parsing that we got so we're going to create a new method and this method is going to be called get feed for url and this time we're passing two arguments we're passing the url and the parser
1: yes and so it just says parser.fetchAndParse and parse with the url as a parameter and then URL pipe, pipe equals URL, and then return the feed, rescue an exception, and the fallback action now is yield if a block has been given. So that's passing the policy, which is what to do if there is an exception. And so then in our discover method, we can now have two nested calls of get feed for URL. So what happens is we, in the body of discover, we say get feed for URL, passing it the URL, and we also pass a block to this method. And inside that block is the bit that you discussed before, Saron, where it says URLs equals find, it find URL, and then return false if URLs.empty. empty. Otherwise, we call get feed for URL again, passing in the first URL in the URLs variable. And so I hope people could follow that because there were a lot of URLs flying around. <laughs> But the key thing here is that the two separate re-blocks have now been combined into one thing where it's it's using this fact that we now have a method that can take a block. And so that enables us to say, well, if you fail the first time, try using the finder this time. And so that block is essentially the fallback action mm-hmm. if the first call to get feed for URL fails.
0: Yes. And also by doing it this way, We're actually not even officially using a brie block because when we pulled it into that method, the get feed for URL method, we don't have a begin. We just have that rescue. And remember, a couple sections ago, Avdi was talking about how it's really nice to not have the begin and the rescue in the end. You can just use the rescue, and it ends up being a nice divider between the part that should work in the method and the part that shouldn't work or you know what to do when it doesn't quite work out and so by refactoring it this way we kind of get rid of that whole concept altogether yeah great cool was that the end of chapter seven yes oh my goodness the penultimate
1: chapter the penultimate
0: chapter and now we're on chapter eight which is officially the last chapter in confident ruby and here we are well, we're kind of just wrapping up, right? It's called Parting Words. It's it's all very sad. I know you're all very sad to, to end this book with us. But the quote that it begins with, I love. And it says, Begin at mm-hmm. the beginning, the king said gravely, and go on till you come to the end, then stop. Which is from Alice in Wonderland. And I don't know how you read that, Nadia, but when I read that, it just... I loved it so much because I think that, you know, a big reason why we started reading Confident Ruby and why we started doing this podcast is because we keep saying we're going to read programming books, we keep saying we're going to do these things, and for a million and one reasons, you don't, you know? And this was just a nice quote that says, to me it said, you know, when you want to do something, start at the beginning, and then when you're at the end, stop doing it. And it was just the simplicity, right? The simplicity of just going through the steps and doing the things and taking the actions that you say you're going to.
1: Yeah, okay, so we're at the end of the book now, so let's stop. See you later. <laughs>
0: yeah. Basically. No, i really joking. <laughs>
1: but yeah, it's, it was, it's, it's cool that we got to the end of the book. It's one of those things where even when we were originally discussing the idea for the podcast... I was thinking, we're both busy people, are we actually going to do this? And I'm so proud of us for persevering week by week, and also for everyone who's, like, read along with us as well. Yes. That's that's so cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I feel like you didn't believe me when I told you that I was going to do this. I feel like I feel like you were very, you were tentative, and you're like, ah, oh, she's not going to time for this. But I made time, and I did it, and we did it, and we're very happy that we did. We did. did.
1: Mm-hmm. We did. And if anyone's wondering a bit more about how we managed to find time, we've been quite strict with time boxing and stuff. Yeah, and we're yeah. really happy to discuss that with you.
0: Mm-hmm. And so in his official goodbye, in his official conclusion, he talks about how all of these are really just a catalog of alternatives, right? And he talks about how a lot of the methods that we discuss and a lot of the takeaways are just different ways of doing things and even you know this whole podcast and so reading this book is a way of doing things that we hope you know helped you all as well but there are lots of decisions that we can make some of them are obvious some of them are not so obvious some of them are obvious over time right after you've spent you know months on something and you revisit it and you realize that you probably need to refactor it so you know his his takeaway is really just that there's lots of ways of telling a story and you kind of have to figure out what's best for you, and hopefully this book helped give you some other options. And
1: also, Afti hopes that the book brings us joy in writing movie programs. Yes. And Ooh. I think, like you say, real joy will come when we're coding away, and then we come across something and we go, "Aha! That was from that book." And I think yeah. that would be really those will be really yep. awesome moments.
0: Yeah, we've had a couple of those moments too on the podcast that we've shared, and those are really great. All right. All right. So it's kind of sad, isn't it? it I is? Don't want to end this one it is sad and it feels kind of sudden so now that we finished confident ruby we want to know what you think did you find it helpful was it everything you hoped it would be were you hoping for something a little different record your 30 second response or write up your thoughts and send it to us at hello at rubybookclub.com and you might hear yourself on the show and don't forget to tweet us at rubybookclub and tell us about how you plan to use the takeaways from this episode in your next project see you next week Cheerio. And actually, we should say that next week we're going to have Avdi Grimm on the show. So we're going to have him talk about what it was like to write the book and his takeaways and his hopes and future plans. So definitely, definitely check out that last episode for this book. Cheerio. <laughs>